Hello, I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. And on today, we have Dr. Chris Palmer on the show, and he's a psychiatrist speaking up and advocating for mental health patients. So we're going to be talking about brain energy, a breakthrough in understanding mental health. And on the show today, we go over why so many people are, you know, being medicated, they're not getting better, they're being told they have a mental disorder that they'll have for the rest of their life, and how Dr. Palmer is seeing that people who go on a certain type of diet and clear up metabolic issues get better and go into full remission um, after their diagnosis. And so he's seeing in his research that people that have you know, high cholesterol that have obesity, the high diabetes, cardiovascular disease, when they get those issues under control, their mental health disorders are improving, their diagnoses are reversing. So a lot of really interesting uh, topics today on the podcast. So listen up if you're, you know, you have a mental health issue or a loved one does and you're on medications, they're not helping, or you're just feeling very frustrated about uh, your, the status of your mental health. And also, you know, on that topic, um, of mental health, you know, you guys know that I've, I've been focused on heavy metal detox and certainly heavy metals play a role in mental health as well. And we touch on that in the show, but, uh, everyone to not everyone, but you know, 95% of people have some sort of adverse childhood event, some sort of traumatizing event or numerous ones that are contributing to their mental and physical health today. And many people just don't make that connection, but many, the research shows that people are profoundly affected in increased rates of cancer, lung disease, autoimmune disease, heart disease, addictions, um, alcoholism, recreational drug use, uh, suicide rates dramatically increase. And, And every imaginable health issue can increase with the increased number of of adverse childhood experiences or events. And so these are called ACEs. And so I created a a masterclass because I wanted to talk about this subject. I wanted to talk about the, on this masterclass, I talk about the statistics. I talk about how you can address emotional trauma, even if you you know, it's trauma. You may not even be aware that you have that's profoundly affecting you and how to easily address this at home. I, so check out this masterclass. It is fantastic. I put a lot of work and research into this masterclass It's totally free. Check it out at emo-detox.com, emo-detox.com. Our guest today, Dr. Chris Palmer, um, he is a Harvard psychiatrist and researcher working at the interface of metabolism and mental health. He is the director of the Department of Postgraduate and Continuing Education at McLean Hospital and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And for over 25 years, he has held administrative, educational, research, and clinical roles in psychiatry at Harvard. And he's been pioneering the use of the medical ketogenic diet and the treatment of psychiatric disorders, uh, conducting research in this area, treating patients, writing, and speaking around the world on this topic. And most recently, he's developed the first comprehensive theory of what causes mental uh, illness, integrating existing theories and research into the one unifying theory which is his brain energy theory of mental illness. You can learn more about his work and his recent book at brainenergy.com. Dr. Palmer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me on. 
Yes. Why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about your background and why you got into medicine and doing what you're doing today? Um, so I have been a psychiatrist for 27 years. I'm at McLean Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Um, I'm currently the director of postgraduate and continuing education, but I've also done neuroscience research for 15 years. And uh, through all of it, I've always treated patients. I've always uh, maintained a private practice, <clears throat> typically working with people who have treatment-resistant mental illness, which means they have seen numerous psychiatrists, usually been in and out of hospitals, usually tried years or decades of psychotherapy, and they're still not better. And then they come to me and I am supposed to try to help them get better. Yeah. So what's wrong with how we currently treat and, and understand mental illness? You know, the real answer is that there's quite a bit wrong. Um, and for any listeners who don't know this, mental disorders are actually increasing in prevalence. The, the problem is getting worse. And mental disorders are actually the leading cause of disability now on the planet. Um, and it's, you know, even though we have a lot of treatments to offer, the treatments that we do have fail to work for far too many people. And that is a huge problem. And I think one of the biggest challenges that of, you know, kind of behind that problem is that right now, no one knows for sure what causes mental illness. We only know some of the risk factors involved, and they're usually lumped into what's called the biopsychosocial model, which says there are biological things like neurotransmitters, genetics, hormones that might play a role, but there are psychological and social things like trauma and stress, and nobody knows how these things fit together. And so without knowing the exact cause, we haven't been able to develop more effective treatments. And most of our treatments only reduce symptoms of illness. They might take the edge off of the anxiety or they might reduce psychotic symptoms or mood symptoms, but they're not curing mental illness and they're not really even putting it into remission for the majority of people. And do you feel like sometimes when people are, are getting medicated, maybe they're on SSRIs or uh, benzodiazepines or other types of medications that the underlying disorder may even be getting worse? Yes, absolutely. And we have good data for that because when you look at the long-term course of people with um, chronic mental illnesses, uh, they, on average, the illnesses do tend to get worse. People end up changing medications or getting more and more medications. And it suggests that we're ignoring something about the disease process. We're, we're, we're missing something and the illness is progressing and, uh, and our symptomatic treatments simply aren't doing it. And so, so you found in your research, there's evidence that mental disorders are caused by uh, metabolic disorder to the brain. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, this is kind of nothing new. Um, you know, the mental health field has known since the 1800s that there are these strong connections between mental illness and metabolic disorders like obesity and uh, even cardiovascular disease. Um, and those have been known for a long time. Since the 1940s, we have had just accumulating evidence that people with mental disorders have metabolic abnormalities in their brains and their bodies. Um, and we see this, like we can draw people's blood and see metabolic differences, <clears throat> but 
you know, since the 1990s, we've been doing all of these brain scans on people, PET scans, spec scans, functional MRI, and all of those scans are actually measuring brain metabolism. So in many ways, this research um, that mental disorders are metabolic disorders, or at least involve metabolic abnormalities, has been around for decades and sometimes even centuries. Um, but what's new is that nobody's been able to put it all together to make sense of it. Yeah. And so, so let's talk about like why and how should this finding change everything about how we treat mental disorders? It's really interesting because it, um, you know, some of my observations started with, um, you know, probably the most powerful observation started with me simply helping a patient with schizoaffective disorder lose weight. And uh, he ended up trying a ketogenic diet. And I was really only trying to help the guy lose weight. I had no expectation this would do anything for his brain disorder. But lo and behold, within about two weeks, he not only was losing weight, but I started to notice a powerful antidepressant effect in this man. And by about two months, he started spontaneously reporting to me that his longstanding auditory hallucinations were going away and that his paranoid delusions were also going away. He began to realize that they weren't true and probably never had been. This man went on to um, you know, lose 160 pounds, keep it off to this day, he was able to do things that he had never been able to do since the time of his diagnosis. He could start going out in public and not being afraid anymore. He was able to complete school programs. He was able to perform improv in front of a live audience. He teaches karate now. He was able to do things that everybody assumed would be impossible for him because of his diagnosis. And this observation showed me that the way that we're currently thinking about mental illness, like schizophrenia, we tell people that's a lifelong disorder, that it's never going to go away and that you're going to need medication the rest of your life. You know, his case has turned into over a hundred cases now, both mine and other patients worldwide. Some who are putting into full remission Diagnoses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, chronic depression. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the ketogenic diet is a metabolic treatment. <clears throat> it is having profound effects on metabolism and brain metabolism. So the way, in my mind, this theory changes everything is that, number one, it says a lot of our current treatments actually are, are not helping nearly enough. And we already know that because the disability rates are so high. And many of these disorders are chronic lifelong disorders, which means that our, our, our treatments just aren't up to the task. They're not doing it. But much more importantly, this new theory, you know, metabolic disorders are addressable and treatable with common sense treatments like diet and exercise and stress reduction and sleep. And I know detox is a big protocol of your detox. Um, metabolic toxins are really bad for metabolism. 
and brain function. And sometimes detoxing can be really powerful and helpful. And we can, we can begin to address the root causes of metabolic disorders. And that means that we should no longer be telling people you have a lifelong disorder and you're going to need medication the rest of your life. Instead, we should be looking for the root causes of their metabolic dysfunction. And we should be treating it and putting these illnesses into full remission. Yeah. And I, I love that you say that because, you know, I think it's, it's very like what you tell a patient, they, they believe, you know, and so you tell someone you're going to be on medications for life, or you're never going to get over this. It's a lifelong condition. People tend to believe that and follow, they follow suit, you know, and they're, and that's correct. You know, they don't get over it. And so I think it's, it's really important. I think for physicians to give their, their patients hope, because I think there's always an answer. There's always, there's always, it may take some people a long time to get to the underlying root cause. Um, but yeah, certainly diet and exercise and lifestyle are super important. And, and then one thing that always kind of like bothered me, but like the DSM and, you know, like, like why does the mental, the mental health field classify mental disorders as separate conditions when some of them can maybe overlap, people can have multiple diagnoses and, you know, and like, why does this exacerbate misconceptions about them? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, on the surface, <clears throat> the different diagnostic labels that we have on the surface make sense. Schizophrenia is not the same thing as depression, which is not the same thing as alcoholism, which is not the same thing as anorexia nervosa. Those are very different disorders with very different symptoms um, and very different treatments. We use totally different treatments for those disorders. So on the surface, it makes sense. But if you actually look at real people with any one of these disorders, it turns out that most people, especially people getting treatment, have more than one disorder. You know, one study found that people getting treated in a psychiatric clinic on average had three and a half diagnoses. Um, so so if you have an eating disorder, oh, of course, you're also going to have depression and maybe a substance use disorder and maybe anxiety. Um, if you have schizophrenia, of course, you're also probably going to have OCD and maybe some anxiety and some mood symptoms and maybe a substance use disorder. And so when you actually look at real people with these disorders, the boundaries start to get blurred because people have so many of these same of, of these disorders. And likewise, if I look at even two people with depression, they can look very different from each other. So one person with depression might be sleeping way too much and might be suicidal and overeating. Whereas another person with depression might not at all think, be thinking about hurting himself and might not be sleeping enough and might be losing weight. And so they can look very different from each other, yet we give them the same diagnostic label. And, um, and so, you know, more importantly, when we look at root causes of the disorders, like well-established root causes, like a hormonal imbalance, whether it's cortisol or, um, you know, estrogen, or thyroid hormone, when we look at any one of those, they can produce 
a whole range of mental symptoms and mental diagnoses. They can produce depression, anxiety, but also mania from bipolar disorder and psychosis. That's like schizophrenia. And so when we start to look at root causes, like well-documented root causes, they, they, they cross all of the boundaries of all of the different diagnostic categories, which makes it fairly certain these are not unique diagnoses. And in case any of this kind of sounds like I'm making stuff up or like, you know, Chris Palmer, you're not a good psychiatrist. How dare you say that? <clears throat> the National Institute of Health abandoned DSM diagnoses over a decade ago um, because they recognize these diagnostic labels, although they are well-known names, everybody's heard of schizophrenia and bipolar and depression, the, the National Institutes of Health recognized they are not valid constructs. They are not valid diseases. Not interesting. And so, so what are, what are they using now? Like what is kind of the, uh, like the, the method that they're using to, to do their, their research? So they have developed a new system called the research domain criteria it's often abbreviated RDOC, and uh, they are encouraging a lot of mental health and neuroscience researchers to use those criteria instead of the DSM criteria. Um, and their criteria kind of go through a laundry list of different types of symptoms or different types of, you know, moods, behaviors, motivations, other things. <clears throat> and they put everything on a range from normal to abnormal. And they believe most mental disorders are actually on a spectrum, that there's, there's not a black and white. Like some people can be, have no anxiety. Some people can have a little bit of anxiety and that's probably normal. Some people can even have a moderate amount of anxiety and that might start to kind of be on the borderline between maybe this is normal, maybe this isn't quite so normal. And other people can have clearly out of control anxiety for no good reason, which is abnormal. Yes. Yeah. I think that makes more sense to, to do things on the spectrum. You know, if you think of like narcissism, you know, maybe women have dated guys who are like a two, but another yeah. one's are like a 10 <laughs> and they're very, very different narcissists, you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and even on that, I mean, most... <clears throat> Most people go through phases of narcissism. If you look at like young kids, especially, they can be pretty narcissistic. They think the world revolves around them and they're, you know, really special. And that can be perfectly normal when it's happening in those kids. But, you know, once people grow up, they're supposed to get a grip and not all of us do. Yeah, not all of us right. do. <laughs> yeah. And so let's talk about mental states. So, so why are mental states different from mental disorders and, and why is this so crucial to understand that difference? So this is a really, I think this is a really important distinction and it, it falls in line with what the National Institutes of Health have kind of outlined that there's normal and abnormal. And, but right now, you know, the, the diagnostic criteria, the DSM, does not distinguish between normal reactions to adversity or stress or trauma and brain disorders. They lump them all together. And let me, uh, and, and the reason that's not very wise 
is because helping somebody cope with trauma or adversity is very different than treating a brain disorder. And let me give you some, like at least one clear example. So if, if a man has a horrible loss in his life, let's say his wife and two kids get tragically killed in a car accident, there's a good chance he's going to be depressed, like really depressed, like the whole constellation of symptoms of major depression. He's going to have trouble sleeping. He's maybe even going to be beating himself up, like maybe he should have done something or maybe he should have protected them. He, he might even be thinking about suicide. Like, what do I have to live for? Like, my, I've lost everything. That is actually normal. All of that's normal. That's understandable. It's called grief. It's called horrible trauma and grief. And his brain is not malfunctioning. He does not have a brain disorder. Well, according to DSM, he's allowed to have those depressive feelings for 13 days. If he still has them on day 14, suddenly they become a brain disorder called major depressive disorder. And then people start talking about chemical imbalances. And so all of a sudden, from he goes from day 13 to a normal, understandable reaction. Day 14, he's now got a brain disorder. Like that doesn't even make sense. And, you know, even if that man is still depressed at, at a month afterward, I don't think anybody in their right mind would say he's got a brain disorder. I, would, I think they would say he's grieving, he is traumatized, he just lost his family. His brain is doing exactly what it's programmed to do. Like anybody else who was in the same situation would be having similar experiences. And the way that we're going to help him is through community and support and, and allowing him to grieve and maybe even taking care of him a little bit through this horrible process, <clears throat> but slowly but surely trying to help him understand there are still people in the world who care about you and love you, and we're going to try to help you move on with your life, even without them. Um, the, the treatment should not be to be throwing pills at this man, trying to make those symptoms go away, because if you really threw enough pills at this man that the symptoms all went away, you're, you're kind of taking the human being out of this man. But on the other hand, there are people who have chronic unrelenting depression and suicidality for no reason. And they will say that. They'll say, I don't know why I'm so depressed. I don't know why I'm so suicidal. I just feel so miserable and there doesn't seem to be any good explanation for it. And I, as a psychiatrist, believe they do have a brain disorder. The same pathways that got activated in that man are now being activated for the wrong reason. They're being erroneously activated in this person. And I would say that their brain is malfunctioning. And that requires a different treatment approach. Can you talk a little bit more about your brain energy theory of mental illness? Is there anything else you wanted to elaborate on when it comes to that? 
I could. It, so um, <clears throat> there's a lot to say about it. But at the end of the day, I'll just say this. I'll say that the overarching concept of the brain energy theory is that mental disorders, so I'm, I'm not talking about the man with depression who's having it for understandable reason. I'm talking about people whose brains are doing things for no good reason that we can identify. It's, it, it's, it's kind of clear to most people or everyone that this person's symptoms are no longer normal. Um, that those symptoms happen because of metabolic abnormalities in the brain across the board. And, um, and that in order to make sense of the mental health field, um, you know, this brain energy theory is actually unifying everything that we know. It's not replacing it. It's not at all replacing it, but it's answering basic questions like, well, why would neurotransmitters be dysregulated? Why would hormones be dysregulated? What causes the inflammation that we see in people with chronic mental disorders? Or how could inflammation cause the brain to malfunction? Um, how does the gut microbiome play into all of this? The, the brain energy theory takes all of those theories and puts them together into one coherent theory that says that these are all metabolic problems. Those are different aspects of metabolism. In order to understand how they all fit together, you actually have to understand mitochondria. And so mitochondria, a lot of people know is the powerhouse of the cell, but they're actually so much more than that. And they actually play a role in regulating all of those things I just mentioned. They play a role in regulating neurotransmitters and hormones and inflammation. And the gut microbiome communicates with mitochondria, but mitochondria actually communicate with the gut microbiome. And it's, it's, it's the way it all fits together. <clears throat> but again, once you understand it, Number one, this theory ends up answering questions that we in the mental health field have not been able to answer for decades. And um, you know, questions that we have just struggled with, like why do people with mental disorders die early deaths? Why are people with mental disorders more likely to develop heart attacks? Why are they more likely to have chronic pain? Um, how can we understand that? This theory answers those questions but much more importantly, it gives us new treatments, ones that offer the hope of long-term healing. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, and you know, it's not surprising when you look at, you know, people eating so much sugar, so much white flour, that's going to affect their brain. When they're uh, drinking water with tons of impurities in it and, and chlorine and, and all kinds of things that kill their gut bacteria. There's so many things that kill our back, gut bacteria, destroy our microbiome. You look at heavy metals, lead, mercury, aluminum. Aluminum kills brain cells, affects neurotransmission, affects brain function in so many different ways. Uh, and just on and on and on. Uh, industrial seed oils causing major inflammation, fried foods, inflaming your whole body two days for two days after you eat them. I mean, we can just go on and on, you know, the hydrogenated oils and packaged, you know, packaged foods, fast foods, replacing omega-3 fats in our cells and our brain cells, you know, it's no, it's no wonder that mental disorders are on the rise. And none of these have anything to do with genetics or, 
um, you know, what we commonly maybe will think of mental disorders, you know, it's, it, there are life, it's very much be attributed to lifestyle factors. Exactly. And, you know, I just want to, I just want to kind of highlight and reiterate what you just said for some of your listeners. So at the same time that metabolic disorders are skyrocketing in prevalence, obesity, diabetes, and other chronic disorders, mental disorders are also skyrocketing. And what I'm saying with this theory is that those things are not at all unrelated. They are directly related. And let me give you, if I can, let me give you one really kind of shocking and counter, counterintuitive example. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the rates of autism have skyrocketed in the last 20, 30 years. They have tripled, at least tripled in the last 30 years. Genetic disorders don't triple in 30 years. And a lot of people would say, but people are born with autism. Like, what does that have to do with obesity or diabetes or any of that? Well, let me share some information that might shed some light on that. Mothers who are obese are anywhere from 30% up to double the risk of having an autistic child. Mothers who have type 2 diabetes have double the risk of having an autistic child. Mothers who are both obese and diabetic have a three to fold, fourfold increased risk of having an autistic child. Fathers who are obese double the risk of having an autistic child. So at the same time that obesity and diabetes is skyrocketing in our population, <clears throat> guess what? That's affecting mothers and fathers, like new mothers and new fathers. It's not at all surprising that the rates of autism are in fact skyrocketing. But when you start to put it all together, we can do stuff to prevent this. We can do stuff to treat this. We are not helpless victims in this. Yeah. And so what should you do if you know someone that has a mental disorder that could be helped by what you discovered? You know, the, the first thing that I'll say is <clears throat> I would love for people to get all of the information so that they are informed consumers or just loved ones or patients, if you will. And um, so I would really encourage you to read the book Brain Energy because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you through all of the information. It's going to take you through some of the science. <clears throat> it is written for a lay audience but it does include science. I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and shoot myself in the foot and say that. Um, but it also includes some practical tips that people can employ to get better. And, but I want people to understand the big picture and all of the different things that might be playing a role. And then if, if the mental disorder that you or someone you love or care about or just know is relatively safe, meaning it is not associated with dangerous or life-threatening behaviors, you can probably try a lot of the strategies in the book on your own, um, you know, because a lot of them are about diet, exercise, sleep regulation, eliminating harmful substances from your life, those types of things. Um, but for people who have really serious disorders, 
that include dangerous or life-threatening um, symptoms like suicidality or hallucinations or delusions. I really do want you to get professional help. Um, I don't want you to, you shouldn't have to treat such a serious disorder on your own and you deserve competent help. But I would want you to talk to your healthcare professional and say, I've heard there's a new way, this metabolic approach to mental illness, and I want to try this treatment strategy. I don't want those pills that aren't helping anyone. I don't want those pills that are continuing to keep people chronically ill. I want a different strategy. And sometimes medications are part of the treatment plan, and that's fine. But I want, you know, I would want you to at least let your clinician know that you want to try some metabolic approaches to your treatment. Um, and then finally, I would, I actually want to ask for your listeners' help. I really honestly believe that we now have enough information. The science is put together that we can actually say with a fair degree of certainty, mental disorders really are metabolic disorders of the brain. And it leads to entirely new treatment strategies. And some of the treatments that we use, you know, some of the medications we use in psychiatry actually harm metabolism. They harm mitochondria. They make people gain weight. They cause diabetes. They cause cardiovascular disease. And this theory suggests that those types of medications are probably keeping people ill chronically. And I, I want to just say getting off those medications can be very difficult and dangerous. So, you know, if you're alarmed by what I just said, please don't rush out and just stop your medicine cold turkey because that'll be a disaster. And it could be quite dangerous and life-threatening. So please get help to try to get off your meds. But <clears throat> I really see an opportunity to transform the mental health field but we are gonna need all the help we can get to actually make that change because change doesn't come easy. And um, so I'm gonna ask people uh, who are interested, go to brainenergy.com uh, and get involved. We want to start a mental health movement. There are tens of millions of people who are suffering and hopeless looking for better solutions and don't know what they can do, who are being told the same tired excuse, no one knows what causes mental illness. We're really sorry. We don't know what else we can do for you. Um, we're really sorry. You've just got a chronic lifelong disorder and you just have to accept that and put up with that and live a life of misery and shame. Um, I want to help all of those people, but it's going to take a movement in order to do that. Yeah, I love that. I love like everything that you're saying right now about, you know, maybe not looking at medications as the the first line of treatment. You know, there's so much like for me, I think that, you know, it's you know, like you said, there's severe cases you need to do medication, but you know, it's not always there, it's a last resort in my book when you've tried a lot of other things and genuinely tried those things like maybe a ketogenic diet or another uh, appropriate type diet and you know 
uh, addressing lifestyle factors and things like that, you know, like just showed that just getting out and going for a walk in the sunlight and exercising is just as effective or more effective than SSRIs uh, in many cases. So there's, for me, I think, you know, I, I, it pains me when I've had, had friends that are on five or six different medications for mental health disorder and, and they just get worse. They just keep spiraling down and down and down. And yeah, something has to be done to, to speak up and be an advocate uh, for these patients because there's so much more that can be done. But I also feel for doctors that, you know, they can only spend a few minutes with each, with each patient and they don't, they're not able to really coach them on uh, doing the ketogenic diet or how to do it. Or I, I think there's just more education that needs to be had for, for health professionals and psychologists and psychiatrists when it comes to this. So thanks for the work that you're doing. No, absolutely. And I completely agree with you. I mean, that's part of what I'm hoping to do with a mental health movement is get access to a dietitian or a health and wellness coach or a fitness coach or other people, functional medicine practitioner, somebody who does have the time to spend with you to do the education and the encouragement and everything that you need to kind of repair your, and you know, repair your health and heal. Yeah. Well, doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show and everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Myers detox podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers, and I, I love doing this show every week and bringing you experts from around the world to help you upgrade your health and help you meet your health goals. Cause you deserve to feel good. Uh, so I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, Dr. Myers. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.